different place, all the same with a new face, with strange mysteries hanging in the air. People in their sane minds swear they see you today. Are you looking for the love they took away? Everyone knows that you couldn't buy the pain, so you took your life. The most ghoulish of greetings to each and every one of you. Thank you so much for stopping by and making Paranormal Prowlers podcast part of your day. Those awesome tunes you just heard are, of course, courtesy of the amazing Bobby Mackey. And as always, I am your host, Tessa Morrow. This week, we find ourselves in the ever so beautiful Hawaii. Now, you know, the first time I came here, it was for a family trip, and I was less than three years old, maybe like two and a half or something. My mom was pregnant with my middle sister, who happens to live there now, and I was too young to remember anything, but it sure is fun looking at all those pictures of me just playing in the ocean, ever so carefree. Now I can't even step foot into the water without wondering where the closest shark is. I think that's why I stick with the mountains these days. There are no sharks out there. (laughs) The last time I went to Hawaii was 10 years ago for my dirty 30. And I went to go visit my sister, who at the time was living in Maui. We did the road to Hana. We snorkeled. We got to get pretty close to parrotfish, a sea turtle, the eagle manta ray, which was a really cool one, and so many other gorgeous, incredible creatures. But thankfully, no sharks. Now, you know, don't get me wrong. I love the creatures. I just don't want any close encounters if you get my drift. My sister, she actually had a GoPro on her head while we were swimming and it was so embarrassing. Thank you know, this would have went viral these days, but I looked all peaceful and she was aimed right at me and you know, you could see me like with the fish and it was really cool. And then all of a sudden I would get into this panicky dog paddle and start searching around like I forgot where I was like, oh my god, is there a shark nearby? It was really, really funny to watch. Hopefully she lost that footage since then or that would be a good blackmail kind of thing. (laughs) Now the topics of this episode take us to beautiful Oahu. I will be talking about two locations, the first being Morgan's Corner, the second is the Oahu Community Correctional Center, both believed to be extremely haunted. First up is Morgan's Corner, and boy does it have a heartbreaking tale behind it. It has to do with the murder of an elderly widowed woman named Therese Wilder. She sadly lost her husband some time ago, and like anybody who unexpectedly loses a spouse, she is completely heartbroken and feels lost without her soulmate, and she's trying to get on with her life. Now, on March 11th of 1948, two escaped convicts, They are desperate and trying to evade the law. They are breaking into nearby homes where they pocket small items and they're stealing food. The culprits are James Majors, who is serving 10 years for second degree burglary. Sounds like he hasn't learned his lesson. And John Palakiko, who had recently escaped Schofield Barracks Stockade. This is a location where people had been executed in the past. Palakiko, he had been transferred to a Oahu prison and was serving four years. The men, being just 19 and 21 years old, 
managed to sneak away from a work crew full of fellow inmates. And the two young men were tired of prison life. I mean, who wouldn't be, right? And they were so utterly desperate to get that taste of freedom once more. But I must ask, is it really freedom when you are constantly looking behind your back and desperately trying to survive, knowing that at any time, any moment, any second, you can possibly get arrested and taken back? Your freedom stripped away once more, and hello, punishments are coming your way, my friends. Well, to me, that really doesn't sound like a speck of freedom, but to each their own. So anyways, these men, they're robbing homes, mostly for food. When they find one home, they are about to break into it, when they suddenly are overtaken by the sense of delicious food being cooked, overwhelming the air. Now, mind you, these men, they're hungry, they're starving. They had spent God knows how many days, how many months, how many years, how many meals eating prison food. Now, let's just say they aren't getting any five-star ratings for their comida. No gourmet food is being served here. Now, these men, they're dangerous, and let's face it, they're desperate, extremely desperate. The men, they ditch their plans to break into this certain home and decide to break into the neighboring home. They cannot simply ignore the smells of a home-cooked meal being prepared at this location. Breaking into a home, knowing somebody is there, there is obviously going to be a confrontation and an encounter of some sort. This is not going to end well. According to mysteriesofhawaii.com slash Morgan's Corner, the two men get through a window that leads to a dressing room. Now, this room itself is actually locked. So one of the men had to go through an air vent that led to a neighboring room. Therese, who is downstairs preparing her ever-so-delicious meal, she hears the sounds coming from up above. She freezes, perhaps. She listens intently. She has no pets. She has no children. Since the death of her husband, she had lived alone. This is not the house settling. This isn't traffic sounds or people outside talking. No wind, no breeze coming through. The sound is foreign and it's unwelcome. She's alert. She begins to walk upstairs. She opens the door to a room and she is completely shocked to see a man standing there. What the hell is this? She's anxious, flustered. She's furious that somebody is in her home that was not invited in. The woman demands the man tell her who he is, why he is here, and what does he want? John, he grabs a hold of her arm, grasping onto her. He tells her that him and his friend, they have no interest whatsoever in doing her any harm in any type of way. They are just hungry and they just want some food. Maybe she did not believe the intruding stranger, or perhaps she was still shocked that somebody was in her home. She begins to struggle against his grip and tries to escape, and a fight does take place between the young man and the elderly woman. Palakiko, he falls on top of the woman and takes control over her. He ties her up and bonds her, and he also gags her. It is believed that during the scuffle, her jaw is broken and she is also hit pretty badly in the eye. One of the men punches her twice in the chin area, while the other hits her in the jaw. She did not stand a chance. Two young, strong, 
and may I add desperate men, against one person who was older, and she was not expecting this to happen. She thought she was in the safety of her home. You know, I mean, this is a pretty unfair fight, if you ask me. Now, it's believed that the only things that were taken from this individual home was food. It seems like the men, they weren't interested in jewelry, electronics, money, anything to make a quick buck off of. They were in desperate need of food. You would think that the Oahu facility they were at didn't give them anything, which I know wasn't true. When they had left the house, they had left this woman bonded and gagged. Was she alive when they left? Yes, she was, very much so, actually. But she was left alone in this house, tied up. Her jaw is broken, remember, from the attack. She could not call for help. She could not untie the straps and bonds that held her ever so captive in her home. And sadly, she dies due to suffocation. If these men, even after attacking her, would have taken off her gag and untied her, sure, hold some type of weapon and say, don't you call for help for this many minutes so they can get away, she would have had a fighting chance. She would have been able to possibly survive this and get the help that she desperately needed. But instead, she died alone in her home, beat up and battered, and she suffocates. Truly a heartbreaking thing for sure. After leaving the Wilder home, they try to steal a car, but it backfires when the owner catches them in the act and he manages to call the authorities. Now, while waiting for the law to come, Majors asks the would-be car theft victim for a cigarette. While getting one, Palakiko attacks the man and then runs away, but he is caught and arrested. The charges for the hijacking incident, mind you, because at this point, nobody knows that they have been breaking into these homes and that Therese Wilder was burglarized and was either dying or had already at this point died during that encounter and incident. Now, while Palakiko, he is apprehended, Majors did manage to escape. He even befriends this elderly gentleman and pretends to be the gentleman's grandson for several days. While questioning Palakiko, he admits that the men had broken into several homes in search of food, including the Wilder home. He still has no clue at this point that she had died. But by this time, authorities sure as hell know and this guy, hey, he just admitted to being in that home. While Therese did not die in their presence, her death was premature and she would not have suffocated if it weren't for the man gagging her and leaving her that way and breaking her jaw. The men, they are found guilty. They are convicted and sentenced to death. But that would change November 13th, 1951. Just two minutes before the men are set to be executed. Governor Long approves and issues a stay of execution. No noose, no gallows, no scaffold, no death. It looks like these two individuals will live to see another day. Fast forward to 1954. Governor King commutes the men's sentences from death to 90 years. And in 1962, just days before Christmas, Governor Burns commutes the men's life sentences to probation. This is just utterly unbelievable. Now, yeah, I get it, okay? They didn't intentionally mean for this woman to die. I don't think they even wanted to really hurt her, but she fought them, and instead of just like calling it quits and leaving, they had to attack her, tie her up, 
suffocating off the gag. Yeah, it was just this horrible accident that did not need to happen. Was it cold-blooded, calculated murder? I don't think so. And maybe these men didn't deserve to be executed, right? But they spent a few years in jail, but mm, I think it could have been a little harsher for them. John Palakiko, he ends up violating his parole. He is sent back to prison where he is supposed to stay for three additional years. He would end up dying behind bars September 11th of 1974. Didn't find a cause of death, but anyway, Palakiko is no more. Now, meanwhile, James Majors, he manages to complete his entire parole with no violations, no issues in 1968. He relocates to Maui, where he spends the rest of his life. He does eventually pass away in 2009. Legend has it. Okay, we've all heard this one before, okay? A young couple, they are out one evening. They're enjoying a romantic date. Maybe they had a nice dinner first. Perhaps they went out to a movie, holding hands, laughing at the large screen presented in front of them. Well, they end up in the woods. The desolate, quiet, secluded woods. Things, mm, they begin to get hot and heavy, dare I say a bit steamy. The woman looks at the time and tells her boyfriend, God, you needed to get me home. Curfew is a bitch. The young man, he rolls his eyes and he laughs. While it is very annoying, he agrees. Not wanting things to end, but knows that, by golly, she's right. She always is. That's one of the things he absolutely adores about this woman. He starts the car, or he tries to at least, but nothing. What the hell? It was working just perfectly, just moments earlier, right? He curses under his breath. He looks at her. He smiles. Mm. He gets out of the car. He convinces her to stay behind and that he'll just go walk to find some help. Fingers crossed that he doesn't have to walk too far until the car comes along. That will help him, hopefully. She stays put. She puts on some music to help time go by. Minutes? Well, they turn into an hour. What is taking him so long? He should have been back by then. Now, it's her turn to curse under her breath. She's going to get into so much trouble for being late, and especially on a school night. Mom and Dad are going to be pissed. She looks around. She doesn't see a single thing out of the ordinary. She starts to chew on her nails quite nervously. He really should have been back by now. What's going on? This is unlike him to keep her waiting like this. If he couldn't find help, he would have came back. He wouldn't have just abandoned her and left her there, right? She can't help but notice that in between songs, when there's that little, you know, short bout of silence, if you will, she hears like the scratch-like sound. She nervously calls his name out. Hey, where are you? This isn't funny. Stop trying to scare me. We need to go right now. No, nothing. Not a single response. She gets goosebumps. She has to remind herself that, hey, he went to go get help by himself. Maybe he needed to take a break from walking or something. Who knows? She tries to remain calm and patient. She tells herself that, hey, they are parked underneath a rather large tree. Maybe one of the branches is the culprit when it comes to those scratching sounds. 
After waiting for so long, the young woman, she eventually just falls asleep in the car, hearing nothing but the wind and the scratch-like sounds. She is awakened the next morning by a police officer. He questions her, why is she there? Who was she with? What was she doing there? And he asks other questions that, you know, one may be asked when being questioned. He asks the girl to please get out of the vehicle and walk towards his cruiser. And he tells her, whatever you do, do not look behind you. Just get in the car, put your head down. She does as she's told at first. She gets out slowly. She begins to walk over to the police cruiser. But with every single step, she's finding it harder and harder to not turn around. It's kind of like that reverse psychology. Whatever you do, do not turn around. It's like, why? What's there? You know? <laughs> I gotta, I gotta turn around. And she does. She turns around and she sees what was making the scratching-like sounds. There, hanging by his feet from the tree, was her boyfriend. His fingernails desperately scratching, scratching, scratching at the car's roof. Then he's dead. So as the breeze kind of goes by, it's just kind of going back and forth with his body and his nail still scratching. Yeah, I know. I told you we've all heard this one before, but word is that this supposedly happened here at Morgan's Corner. Another tale that comes with this location has to do with a girl who was head over heels in love with some dude. And believe you me, it was not true love, at least not on his part. He finds no problem whatsoever with breaking this girl's heart. It is said that she could not take the pain. She goes to Morgan's corner and she hangs herself from one of the trees. She is up there so long, word is that her head falls off. People have supposedly seen this apparition of the woman holding her head wandering through the area. And I saw in hauntedplaces.com one local sharing that they had grown up in the area and that as a child they had been told the story about a school bus that had crashed at Morgan's Corner and that it had supposedly killed several children. This individual claims to have been able to hear children crying while in the area. We now leave Morgan's Corner and head on over to the Oahu Community Correctional Center. And it is still a functioning correctional facility. Now once the site of the Oahu prison, where at least 47 doomed men breathed their last breath before being legally hanged, executions they did take place here between 1909 and 1944. When the correctional facility that you see today was actually built, it was constructed right on top of where the gallows once had stood. A lot of negative energy was conjured here. Several people have died here. So it's no shocker that this active facility is believed to be extremely haunted. Again, this is one of those places that I would be shocked if it were not haunted. Seriously. Doors they will open all on their own. Closing, opening, closing, opening, or at least the sounds of them. Being an active place for inmates, I would hope the doors were not just to open all on their own. And that maybe it is just phantom sounds. Who knows? The inmates, they share how they will oftentimes hear jail cell doors rattle on their very own as if unseen hands are responsible for the sounds. 
And it is not just the inmates to experience things here. The guards, they have one hell of a time when it comes to try to get some siesta going on in the squad room, which is right next to where the execution chamber was. Whether you are coming to Hawaii for the beach and historical locations, the ghosts, or some R&R, no one can deny this is truly a tropical paradise. This week's special city shoutouts go to Gaver, Belgium, Twin Falls, Idaho, Akarnes, Greece, Amsterdam, New York, and Lacey Township, New Jersey. As always, it is greatly appreciated. Thank you so much for stopping by and making Paranormal Prowlers Podcast part of your day. Did you enjoy this week's episode? Listen to the others. They are all phenomenal. Haven't heard every single one yet? Well, there's no need to worry. You can binge listen to your heart's content right this second by hitting up any of those podcast platforms, such as Blueberry, TuneIn Radio, Google Podcasts, Podcast Republic, basically wherever you may roam to listen to your other spooky podcasts, you'll probably find Paranormal Prowlers podcasts lurking in the background. Do you have a chilling encounter of your own to share? Perhaps there's a curse or a local haunt that you would like to hear about. Maybe you want to be a future voiceover for an episode. Please feel free to find me on the Paranormal Prowlers Podcast Facebook page and send a message my way. Thanks, everyone, and I will see you next week.